following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I recently officiated a memorial service for my very sweet and definitely saved sister-in-law, Cindy. My brother had one major request of me. He said, Chris, I just want you to hit the gospel as hard as you possibly can. It's something that both Mark and Cindy wanted to do, and honestly, I would do anyway. By God's grace, it was a wonderful response to the memorial, and not surprisingly, there was a little negative reaction. You say, well, what was it? People have a hard time with the gospel's exclusivity. They really have a hard time that Christ is the only way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but who? Through Christ, that's right. So understand, many of you know the pain of family members who have rejected the gospel, people that you love, people at your workplace, people at your school, and they don't want anything to do with Christ. And one of the big reasons is the exclusivity of the, of the, of the gospel. It is only through Christ that you can be right with God. It is only through Christ that you can be on your way to heaven. You know, even the apostles faced this. After being put in jail to shut them up, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly tells the Jewish leaders, they crucified Christ, but God raised him from the dead. And in doing so, he makes this pointed statement in Acts 4.12. You know it. There is salvation in how many other people? No one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. People get upset because Christ is the only way. Now add to that, there is something intrinsically that has been placed in us. God promises that every person alive, not just Christians, but every person alive knows without a doubt that they are going to be judged for their sin. Now they may cover it with a conscience that's seared as best they can, but understand intrinsically, everyone knows they're going to be judged for their sin. I remember walking down Sunset Boulevard when I was a brand new baby Christian, interviewing people, and they all knew that they would be judged for their sin. And that's exactly what God said, and the Spirit of God will do as promised by Jesus in John 16, verse 8. Take a look at it. And He, when He comes, will convict the world concerning what? Sin and righteousness and what? Judgment. They know they're going to be judged for sin. They all know that they're going to be judged for their sinful nature and their sinful actions and that what is sin is falling short of the righteous God's standard, violating God's law, and they will be cast forever into eternal torment with no hope, no second chance, no possible escape. Now let's be blunt. 
every single Muslim, every single Mormon, every single Hindu, Buddhist, Jew, and Catholic who does not surrender his life to Jesus Christ by grace alone through faith alone will burn in hell forever. And it won't merely be those who embrace false religion who suffer in the lake of fire. Every nice grandma, every sweet parent, every gentle relative, every kind friend who dies without Jesus Christ as their Lord, every great guy, every great gal who refuses to turn to Christ for salvation by grace through faith will find themselves judged, condemned, and punished forever in eternal torment. And even to add a layer to that, In addition, every church-going person who has made their own form of Christianity and follows their own form of Christianity instead of the one revealed in God's Word will also be judged for their sin. Now, you may think to yourself right now this morning, if you're still with me, that seems a little unfair. Seems a little unfair until you realize what God did in order to solve your problem of sin. Until you begin to understand the lengths that our Creator went to in order to provide a way of escape from judgment. You and I can do nothing to save ourselves. You and I can accomplish nothing to escape judgment. But the triune God can and did. Not because He had to. Are you ready? but because He loved you. Because He loved you. From pure mercy, grace, and love, the Father sent His perfect Son to take your place. Jesus Christ is God, the second person of the Trinity, and He chose to be born as a man. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. He lived a perfect life and then offered Himself as your substitute. He took the punishment of hell that you deserve on the cross. On the cross, He bore all of God's righteous wrath for your sins. All of your sins of pride, of thinking too much of yourself, of lust, of selfishness, of lying, of anger, of impatience. All of that. He took all of that upon Himself. The eternity of torment you deserve. Christ pleased God as God. And Christ substituted for mankind as a man. And the one true God did all of that for you. For you. God alone can save sinners. And now God calls us to proclaim that same message. That's why it's good news. Only God can save you. But God provided a way. God provided a way of escape. So men and women could depend on Him by faith and turn from their sins and repentance. There is salvation in no one else but Christ. And Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will get to heaven. No one will get right with the Father. No one will be right with God ever. No other faith, no other religion except through Christ. Most of you here have embraced that good news. And we rejoice in that. But some of your family and friends, and maybe you here, are offended by that. You're angry at that. You're indifferent at that. Oh, that's good for you. Or you're hostile. You're hostile. And such was the Apostle Paul. When he first learned of the gospel, he was called Saul. And he was angry. He was, he was defiant. He felt that this was an attack on his faith. 
and he sought to destroy the message and those who declared it. Until Acts chapter 9, and something happened. Christ threw Saul to the ground, blinded him with holiness, and showed Saul that he, Jesus, was the promised Messiah, that he was Lord, and the only way of salvation. God literally dragged Saul, who became Paul, to himself, gave him salvation and a brand new life. God did that. He did that to you too. He may not have blinded you on a road, but he dragged you to himself and gave you salvation. And Paul quickly learned that this salvation was not just meant for the Jews only, but it was meant also for the Gentile, the Jew and the Gentile, the Jew and the Greek. In a sense, the Jew and everyone else. And since that day, Paul's been proclaiming Christ as the only way of salvation, the only way to heaven, the only way of forgiveness to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Many Jews responded to that gospel message when it was first proclaimed and turned to Christ alone, but many rejected and others became hard, resistant, and hateful to the truth. But that didn't stop Paul from loving those people. Can you imagine that? I mean, they are hateful about it. But he was one of those hateful ones. He understood them. He understood their heart. And he said, in spite of how they treat me, I still love them. And I want them to know the truth. He wanted his people, the Jews, to know their Savior, know forgiveness of sins, to be freed from external religion, and to know the joy of internal relationship with Christ. Paul had compassion for his peeps. Under the witness of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul even declared to the Roman Christians in a letter that he wrote. Now he's in Rome, and he wrote this letter to the Romans three years previous. If it were possible, Paul wrote them that he would be willing to suffer torment in hell forever if it meant that his Jewish brothers and sisters would all turn to Christ in Romans chapter 9. Can you imagine that? I'm willing to go to hell forever if it means my people, the Jews, could come to know Christ. It's stated right there in Romans 9. You say, that's pretty dramatic. Is that dramatic to you? I mean, do you understand the torments of hell and he's embracing that? Saying if that would then provide a way for them to all be saved, if that could happen, I would do that? Now, we've seen radical stuff, right? We see radical stuff today. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but Olympic athletes uh, several years back in the Olympic Games were surveyed. And they were surveyed, and they were asked this one question. They were asked, if you were to have a pill that was totally legal, and that pill would guarantee you a gold medal in your event, but shortly after that, about a month later, it would kill you, would you take that pill? The Olympic athletes, 60% of them said yes. That's incredible that they would be willing to die in order to have a gold medal. But that's nothing compared to Paul. Because Paul's not only willing to die to get a gold medal, he would be willing to go to eternal torment in hell if it meant that he could save his people. That's an amazing heart. So friends, I believe it points to us and says it's right that you agonize over your lost family and friends. It is best that we passionately pray for their salvation. It is good that we grow in compassion for the religious, unsaved. It's good. Kids, hear me. Listen, Uncle Bogus is coming to your house. And mom and dad have been trying to reach Uncle Bogus for 20 years. 
Listen, it's your turn, students, children, kids, to step up and say to Uncle Bogus, Uncle Bogus, do you know Jesus? It's time to step up. we got to start asking the questions because Uncle Bogus needs Christ. Or Uncle Bogus is headed for an eternity without Christ. we got to get there. So now, it's the final week. It's the final lesson. It's the final sermon. It's the final passage in the book of Acts. Acts 28. Please open your Bibles there. To Acts chapter 28. Paul arrives in Rome. The very first thing Paul does is reach out to his Jewish leaders in order to share the truth of the gospel to his religious unsaved brethren. He wants them to know Christ. And as he does, he shows us how we can grow in compassion toward the religious, to those who are unsaved, to those who have some form of Christianity, but not the real one. Not the one that is revealed in the scripture. Those who are blinded by a false faith. I mean, look at this. What you see here in the latter verses of Acts is Paul the beggar who's starving, who's now found the bread of life. And as he finds the bread of life, now he wants to share that bread with other beggars, so to speak, his Jewish brethren, the bread of life to those starving Jews. So stay with me in point number one. This is how we can communicate to our unsafe family and friends, especially during this season. Number one, explain your motives. Explain your motives. Look at verse 17 through verse 20. After three days, Paul's just arrived to Rome. After three days, Paul called together those who are the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. Verse 20, for this reason, therefore I requested to see you and to speak to you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. This is the final chapter and the final passage in the book of Acts, but it is only the beginning of the work of the Holy Spirit as he's now continuing to establish churches all throughout the known world. And the entire book of Acts is covered the spread of the gospel and the birth of the assemblies of Christians from Jerusalem to the entire Roman world. <clears throat> In fact, Paul was a tireless servant and an effective tool, was he not? To birthing these churches everywhere, his uncompromising preaching as Christ, as the only way of salvation, both to Jew and to Gentile, produced great fruit and churches all over the known world. But it also earned him some powerful enemies. Some powerful enemies. And the opposition finally got Paul arrested and imprisoned after three trials before great men had failed to resolve the case, Paul was forced to appeal to Caesar. And surviving a violent sea voyage, a shipwreck, and a snake bite, Paul finally reached the imperial capital. And today, Luke concludes this history with this passion for his own people. He concludes it with his heart for the Jewish nation. Paul would later be released. He would minister possibly even up to Spain and around the known world while he writes Titus and 1 Timothy. And after a few years, Paul's arrested again 
and then he's placed in a Roman dungeon this time, not under house arrest, and he writes 2 Timothy, and tradition tells us then he is beheaded for his faith. But even with that, the story of the faithful who are filled with the Spirit of God, proclaiming the Word of God, the gospel that transforms rebellious sinners into submissive saints, is still going on. This is still an ongoing mission. The gospel continues. Are you ready for this? It continues to rescue drowning rebels from their ocean of sin. It continues to rescue drowning rebels from their ocean of sin and gathering saints into churches around the world. So in the truest sense, the book of Acts is still being written today. And you're a part of it. John MacArthur writes this quote, I love it. Although Acts ends abruptly, it is not incomplete. It reveals the church's source of power, the Holy Spirit, the pattern of blessing for the church, the walking in the Spirit, the church's message, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, the perils to the church, sin from within and false teachers from without, and the church's priorities to teach the word to those who know Christ and to proclaim the gospel to those who don't, end quote. Isn't that great? That's what we're here. And so now Paul's under house arrest in Rome. He's in his own apartment in the capital city. Okay, so he's not in a dungeon, friends. And in verse 20, he's wearing a single chain. The reference there, if you look at the word, it's not chains, but chain. So he's got a chain that's probably chained. I'm just telling you how it works back then. Chained to the wall. He could work around his apartment, but he's chained to the wall. He might be chained to the praetorian which was a common practice. <clears throat> but being under house arrest, it's probably chained to the wall in the sense that he can walk his way around and drag this chain with him and basically converse with the praetorian anytime he wants to. But none of that would stop Paul, right? Being chained to a wall. He didn't waste any time. There's no delay. There's no put it off. There's no wait for manana, okay? Three days after arriving, Paul invites the leading men of the Jews, verse 17, to his new digs. And his pattern in every city has always been to evangelize the Jewish community first, and that's exactly what he's going to do. Historians tell us there's 40,000 Jews in Rome. There's 10 different synagogues, and the leaders of these synagogues would be the ones who are now going to be meeting with Paul. He had been accused of being anti-Semitic. Most of the resistance to his ministry had been the Jewish leaders, and yet in spite of that, he had no animosity. No animosity. I, I just find this absolutely fascinating. The people that wound him the most, he is most in love with, most desirous that they would know Christ. He just wanted them to know. It was not an easy task that he has before him because he had to explain why is he a prisoner. He had to explain and defend his innocence. At the same time, not blame the Jews in Jerusalem and also alienate the Jews he's about to talk to. It's a tough spot. So what's he do? Look at verse 17 to 20 there. He declares he's not a rebel against Rome. He says, I'm not a heretical leader of a sect. He didn't violate the temple. On the other hand, he affirms that he was found innocent by Roman governors. But because the Jerusalem leaders objected to Paul being set free, he was, verse 19, take a look at that. Circle that word forced there in your Bible. Forced, it's passive tense. Means he had no choice. He was forced to appear before Caesar. He had no choice. He had to do it. Because Paul is such a prominent Jew, Uh, Let's put it in modern terms. Paul's famous, right? He's one of the most famous Jews in his day. They know of him. He was a Pharisee uh, of Pharisees and now a prisoner. 
he wants to explain a situation of the Jewish leaders in Rome. And he ends his explanation with a statement explaining his real reason why he wanted to talk to these men. He explains his motives. Okay, are you getting this? Look, wait, you're missing the point. Don't miss the point that you want to tell him your motives. Why are you sharing Christ with them? Look at verse 20. Take a look at it. Take a look. Verse 20. We're doing a study here, so you look at your Bible. There you go. There you go. Look at it. it says, verse 20, See this, for this reason, therefore I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this singular chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. What's the hope of Israel? The hope of Israel is the coming of Messiah. The resurrection from the dead and the kingdom where the Messiah and Israel rule planet earth. Paul's saying, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you about the gospel. I want to talk to you about your Messiah and what he's done for you. So with great affection and great respect, Paul tells them why he wants to talk to them. He wants them to know the answer that Israel has longed for for over 2,000 years. We have the hope. There is an answer. Their hope. Listen, friends, this is so vital. Sometimes we forget this. Tell your religious family, tell your religious friends, tell your friends who are secular, tell your secular family why you want to tell them about Christ. That you love them. That you're concerned for their eternity. In fact, tell Uncle Bogus the hole in his heart will never be filled by anything but Christ. Tell him that forgiveness of sin is only found in Christ, that a hope and a certainty of heaven is gained only by being in Christ. Love them. Tell them why. Tell them why you plead with them. Explain your motives. Paul explains, I want you to know the hope of Israel. I want you to know this is the answer. And he tells them why he talks to them. How do they respond? Look at verse 21. They said to Paul, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any other brethren come here to report it or spoken anything bad about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are concerning this sect, they call it. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Verse 20 and 21, number two in your outline, look for interest in the gospel. Look for interest in the gospel. Ten years earlier, there were riots between non-believing Jews and believing Jews in Rome, so much so that actually, you know what the emperor did? He kicked them out for a season. And so now the believing Jews and non-believing Jews, how they treat one another is a lot more sensitive because they don't want to get kicked out again. Are you ready? I mean, if you got kicked out of your neighborhood, you know, because you were, never mind, let's not apply it that way. So anyway, understand. The result is they're being very careful. And in Paul's case, the Jewish leaders say they've heard no formal declaration for Jerusalem and no Jews who've traveled and end up in Rome have said anything about Paul. Now that feels like a little hard to believe to me because Paul's reputation followed him everywhere. Well, it could be that because Paul was on the last boat out of Rome or out of Jerusalem, it's probable there was no news had beaten them to Rome. And since Paul had been exonerated by two Roman governors, the Jewish leaders obviously uh, are not going to want to look foolish in front of Nero by taking up a case against Paul a third time. 
Diplomatically, the Roman Jews assured Paul, look at verse 22, desire to hear his views. And in a very noncommittal manner, they cautiously acknowledge the obvious concerning this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. Hey, listen, understand this correctly. What they're saying concerning Christianity, concerning Jesus, concerning the true way of salvation, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere amongst the Jews. The truth is these Jewish men were not totally ignorant of Christianity, which had been established in Rome for many years. Most of the Jews viewed Christianity as a sect of Judaism, uh, not as a separate faith. So whether politically driven or because Paul was a Pharisee, and, you know, important, somehow they're dancing around this. But Paul is looking to see if there's any interest to hear in Christ, and he'll take any window he can get to get to number three, which is to instruct from the word on the gospel. Instruct from the word on the gospel. Verse 23 and 24 are awesome. Awesome. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. So this is a lot more people have come to participate. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning who? Come on, concerning who? Jesus. And he's doing that from both the law of Moses and the prophets. From morning until evening. That's all day, friends. Verse 24. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken. But others would not believe. On an appointed day, the Roman Jews returned in large numbers to hear Paul. Paul went for the throat. Don't you love it? When he said, verse 23, he's testifying about the kingdom. Listen, he's talking about, again, the literal earthly kingdom, but he's also talking about the rule of God. These people are currently under the rule in the kingdom of Satan, death, and destruction. He wants them to enter into the realm of salvation, life, and glory. And the gospel proves that all men are under slavery of sin, under sin's rule, and only Christ can free them from sin's power now and sin's punishment later. The kingdom, the rule of Christ, declaring that Satan, sin, yourself, is not in charge, but God's in charge. Can I hear an amen to that? God's in charge. And Christ alone is sovereign over all, not you. And so he proclaims those truths over and over again, day and night. He pointed the way to find true salvation and enjoy intimate fellowship with God. And Paul sought to persuade them, and he did it all day long. Come on, friends. Not an hour and 15-minute service. All day long. You're ready for it, aren't you? Okay. From the Law and Prophets. And you know what that means? That's the entire Old Testament. The entire Old Testament. Friends, it is the Word of God that transforms lives, not you. Not your pleading. Yes, tell them your motive that you love them. But tell them the word. Tell them what God says. Tell them what the Bible says. Understand, Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It's the spirit of God. And as he changes hearts, he changes hearts when it is the word of God, the living, active, and life-transforming word is proclaimed. That's how he changes hearts. And you got to love the result. Look at verse 24. Look at it. Some were being persuaded. Don't you love that? That big crowd, some became Christians. They were persuaded that this is the truth, but others would not believe. A faith dependence upon Christ as God. And listen, the work of salvation 
on your part is belief in Jesus Christ. The work of salvation on your part is belief in Jesus Christ. A faith dependence upon Christ as God and a sacrifice for your sins on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Understand, you believe the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ is acceptable payment for your sins, that it is the only way. This is the only way that your sin will be rectified before a holy God is what Christ did. And from a new heart, you will hate sin resulting in you turning from your sin in repentance and seeking to follow Christ as Lord by following His Word, the Bible. That's what you do. You want to. You don't have to anymore. God is sovereign to give you a new heart to believe, and it is your responsibility to cry out for that new heart. To refuse to do so is to disobey God, to disobey Him. You say, I don't know, you know, I've been kind of, you know, watching mom and dad, and I'm not sure. Listen, it's refusal to do so is to disobey God. And Paul shows us when you share the gospel, verse 24, some are going to be persuaded and some are going to reject. Listen, number four, really interesting point here, expose the rejecting heart. Expose the rejecting heart. Listen, when you're talking to people and they turn away from the gospel, you want to remind them that it's their heart and their hardness that is causing them to turn away and no other reason. This is a step that many believers leave out. Make certain they understand that what caused their rejection. They think they're making a sound decision. They think they're wise and in control and you're foolish. But like Paul, let them know what's really causing their rejection. What's really causing their rejection? Take a look at verse 25 through 29. And when they had agreed with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. What did he say? The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, verse 26, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the what of these people? Their heart of these people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand their heart and return. And I would heal them. I would save them. I would give them salvation. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they also will listen. And when they had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having great dispute among themselves. Some of the Jews refused to believe and not embrace the gospel. They were following and continuing in their nation's sad history of rejecting God's true messengers and God's true message, culminating in actually them killing the actual Son of God. And as Paul taught in God's Word, the argument between new believers and the old rejectors was escalating here. The Roman Jewish leaders began leaving, verse 25, after Paul shared this particular warning in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, it basically is the same passage, the very same one that the Lord Jesus Christ actually shared with the nation of Israel as he rebuked them with this very same passage when they demonstrated the hard hardness of their hearts to him in John chapter 12. He shared this passage. So Paul's right doing exactly what the Lord did and through this passage, Paul affirms God's mission that this gospel is to all men, not just to Jews now, but it is to the Gentiles, and it's going to go to them as well. Paul, now understand, had already written the Roman church in the book of Romans, 
that the Jews are not permanently rejected, Romans chapter 11. The Gentiles are only grafted in. Aren't you glad we're grafted in? Amen. We're grafted in to their joy, to their salvation. And we're done for now. We're grafted in. But one day, all Israel is going to be saved. Israel's rejection will not cancel God's promises to bless her future remnant. And the day of their faith in Jesus Christ is yet to come. As a nation of people, they are going to turn to Christ. You looking forward to that day? Zechariah 12.10 talks about it. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns an only son. They will be overwhelmed by their sin of rejecting their Messiah, of killing their Messiah, of piercing their Messiah, and they will turn to Christ in grace and find salvation as God's chosen nation again. They will be on the forefront in the kingdom. Yet for now, it will only be some Jews who respond to the truth and submit to Christ as their Messiah. But aren't you thankful for the few? Come on, aren't you? Amen to that. Every time I meet a converted Jew, I smile. Did you know that? It's an automatic response. I just start smiling, and they're looking at me like, what's the deal? I get excited because they've got an extra measure of love, an extra measure of grace. Yeah, why am I so excited? Because they're the double C. The double C, right? The chosen chosen, right? A special people. And yet, after this all-day preaching, this Bible study, verse 29, look what it says. The Jews departed and having great dispute among themselves. Regardless of their mixed response, regardless of their rejection, Paul proclaims the gospel. And that's your mission too, friends, this holiday season. Uncle Bogus needs to hear, he needs to hear the truth. So understand, that leads us to what we should all be committed to, which is number five in your outline, never give up proclaiming the gospel. Never give up proclaiming the gospel. Look at verse 30 and 31. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. I love that. Verse 31, last verse of Acts, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered amazing amazing truth and though paul couldn't go out to them they all came to him and he constantly was inviting others for two years while he waited for his case to be heard did paul stand before nero did he yes or no he did you say how do you say that chris because remember what the angel said during the storm which was you know led to the last shipwreck look at acts 27 23 Acts 27, 23, For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before... So he did. If the angel said you must stand before Caesar, then is God's will going to be accomplished? Yes or no? <laughs> Absolutely. God arranged for Paul to proclaim the gospel to Felix, to Festus, to Herod, great leaders in their day. God promised Paul he would minister in Rome right after the rite in Jerusalem. And I believe Paul shared the gospel with Nero because it was just a few years later when Nero blamed the fire that he had set on Rome on Christians, making Paul as a Christian leader a primary target, leading to his second arrest and then ultimate execution. Paul never missed an opportunity to share the gospel. Verse 30, it says, all who came to him. Verse 30, all who came to him. He taught submission to God as king. 
submission to God as king, lordship, and depending on Christ alone to be saved. And so did verse 31. He did so with all openness and unhindered. Openness means all confidence, even in the midst of being chained to a wall. He's totally confident. He knows the truth. He knows who's in charge. He knows his circumstances are exactly what God designed. And then it says unhindered. And that means he was honest, he was straightforward, and he was very frank. Was Paul frank? I mean, not frank, Paul, 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 frank. But was he, was he direct? Was he specific? Did he really lay it out? Yeah, he spared no one. And he loved people, but he told them the truth. Not one soldier that he was chained to, not secular government restrictions. No one blocked him, slowed him down, interfered with him, hindered him, for, or forbid Paul at all. He never gave up sharing the gospel. Never gave up. Never lost hope. So let's take this home. Are you ready? Letter A. The mission of Acts in proclaiming the gospel and establishing the church is not yet complete. The story is not only. Listen, would you look at yourself the right way? You were born on this planet, and then you were born again on this planet so that you could continue the book of Acts. I know you may be Acts 2020, whatever. We all want to be Acts 2021, I know. But understand, some of your responsibility is to function in a church which teaches God's word, proclaims the gospel, establishes churches. Another part of your responsibility is to personally participate in sharing the gospel with everyone you know, especially Uncle Bogus. And another part of your responsibility is to pray and to give and to serve so that all of this work can move forward in our time. Make certain you're not a spectator, but you're a participant. Make sure that you're in the game and not watching from the sidelines to live out Acts. You're a part of Acts. We're a part of this together. Letter B, let no one stop you from preaching the gospel. Paul preached the gospel whenever and whenever he could, even under arrest. I mean, if there was ever a time for self-pity, this was the moment, right? Oh, I'm chained to a wall. I'm chained to a guard. None of that came out of Paul. He was clothed in humility. His gospel message was tactful, respectful, pointed. It was gracious to the Jewish leaders, and Paul was unstoppable. Don't you love that? He began his his evangelistic outreach three days after arriving in Rome. He didn't let anything delay him to proclaim the gospel. Listen, your uncle, your friends, your family need to hear. They need to hear this message. Letter C, pursue every biblical means of proclaiming Christ. Listen, you're not commanded to street preach. You're not commanded to go on the college campus, but you are commanded to use every means you have in order to proclaim Christ. And, and listen, would you get this? Be who you are and proclaim Christ. Be the person that God made you and proclaim Christ. You don't have to do it like everybody else. You do it the way God made you. What are you talking about, Chris? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Which one are you most like? Maybe you're like Peter and you're super confrontational charging listeners at Pentecost in Acts 2 with a frontal assault on who Jesus is. You just go for the throat. Maybe you're like Paul, who could lovingly debate the intellectuals apologetically on Mars Hill in Acts 6, 17. Maybe you're like the blind beggar in John 9 who shared his testimony on how Jesus Christ has changed his life. Maybe you're like more relational, like the man freed from the unclean spirits in Mark chapter 5 who went home and shared with his family and friends everything that Christ had done for him. So you're relational. Maybe you're like the Samaritan woman in John 4, who 
went to town and invited everybody to come and hear Jesus. She's inviting everyone. So you're invitational. Invite them to next Sunday kind of thing. And maybe you're like Dorcas in Acts 9 who served others by giving gifts, opening the door for discussion on how Christ saved her. You don't have to share the gospel the same way, but share the gospel. Make sure they hear the message, not just a gift, not just a kind deed. They need to hear the truth. You share the message of the gospel with those around you who are lost. And letter D, I'll tell you what it is in a minute. The gospel is good news. Can I hear an amen to that? Listen, did we save ourselves, yes or no? Are we being religious and earning our salvation, yes or no? No, God did it. God saved you. He forgave you. Every sin that you've ever committed, past, present, future, has been punished fully on the cross of Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Every single, you are ready today to go to heaven. Some big bus or meteor pops down here and wipes out Myriad of Valley High School. And we all go with it. If you're in Christ, you're in his presence that moment. That moment. We have nothing to fear. It's not a bumper sticker. Christianity is not a pin you put on your lapel or a nice piece of jewelry. Christianity is not a Bible that you carry. It is a sinner who has been placed in Christ and his sin has been punished on the cross in your place. And it is someone whose life has now been covered in God's righteousness. You've been justified. But not only justified, you've been regenerated. Salvation is a life transformed internally from wanting to rebel to wanting to obey. It's a transformation. Internally, you want to follow Christ. From following your will to following Christ's will. From being a slave to sin to being a slave of Christ. From trusting in your wisdom to trusting in the word. Listen, the faith, the true faith is not casual. It's a commitment. It's life transforming. Your life is no longer your own. It's his. Christ isn't merely the resident in your life. He's the president of your life. And every aspect of my sister-in-law's life, almost every other sentence was related to Jesus Christ. I have great confidence that she's in heaven with him. Is yours? Are you ready to die? Are you ready to meet your judge face to face? You will give answer for your life. You will be evaluated. You know that intrinsically. Your sin must be judged. Are you ready to give answer? Is there enough evidence and fruit in your life to confirm now that you're truly a born-again Christian? Read these two verses with me aloud, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians 5.15, let's read them together. With zeal, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And now you have a chance to join us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, everybody. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Letter D, all those who embrace the gospel will be transformed by the gospel. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for Paul's heart for his people. Thank you for the passionate love that he had for the gospel. Let some of that leak onto us. Let it be that we want to share and we do share the truth with our relatives, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our fellow students. 
that we tell them the truth. We tell them that we love them. We tell them and plead with them about the hardness of their heart. And Father, we give you all the glory for what you'll do. It's up to you to save them, Lord. It's up to us to give that message clearly. We pray that we would. We pray that we'd be encouraged to. We pray that we'd be encouraged to continue on in the mission of Acts. And Father, that you would be exalted above all. And Father, that we would just love you today and thank you for the way that you've loved us and forgiven us and cleansed us. That you chased us down and awoken us and in the midst of our rebellion and our lust and our anger and our pride, that you humbled us and you, you gave us a love for you. We pray, Father, that you would be exalted by our response. Our worship today is our response to your word. And the way that we sing, even when it's cold, we pray, Father, that you would be honored in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.